Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perhaps you're familiar with, to some degree, with that billionaire celebrity, Mark Cuban. Well, he is apparently considering the possibility, at this point in time, now considering the possibility of making a late run at the presidency for this go-round. Normally, in normal times, this would be all but unheard of other than something being launched at a presidential convention that is deadlocked, that is in disarray, something like that. But here, this is something entirely different. This would be an independent run outside of the two principal parties. And he was asked about it. And he has referred repeatedly to what he describes as being a unique opportunity that Americans face. You know what they say, that a smile is a frown turned upside down, or words to that effect. Putting a happy face, putting a spin on this, looking for the good in it, the silver lining of the current situation in the United States of America and the world, but speaking with respect to the United States of America itself. This unique opportunity, what he refers to as being America 2.0. What comes to mind for me, based on what I've seen him say, is really scrapping America and starting over, but without a godly foundation. The only reason that the United States of America still has anything worthwhile, anything to its credit, any nobility, and I'm not speaking of royals, any nobility, any honorability, any righteousness, any vestige of godliness is because of the original godly foundation. But Mark Cuban, he is a creative thinker. You know, think outside the box, billionaire celebrity. So he's speaking of America 2.0. Now, he, of course, would contest what I just said. He would say, no, that's not what he has in mind. He just wants to improve on things. But consider, he has said that the following, everything's a reset right now. Everything's a reset. If you have a vision for America 2.0, which is really 2.0, but they always say .0, America 2.0, now's the time. This is a complete reset. 
All those things you were wondering about. I wonder if we tried this. I wonder if we tried that. Now we can try them. Well, there is something to be said for that, but there is a world of difference between trying to resolve problems and issues which have been the result of so much political activism, judicial political activism, and so forth, over the past many, many decades, eroding and subverting and corrupting and perverting the nature of the United States of America, the fabric of the United States of America, And somehow or other, I just, call me a doubting Thomas, I just doubt whether Mark Cuban is the man to really restore America. I view him very similarly to how I view Donald Trump. And that is not positively. But, again, he has enjoyed much personal success but asked about possibility of making a late run. He said, if this would have been a month ago, or as he puts it, would have, if this would have been a month ago, I would have said absolutely not. But obviously, things are crazy. Things are changing. So I'll keep an open mind. But I seriously doubt. Well, personally, I don't think he would be saying those things if he wasn't very seriously considering this. So I expect (laughs) that there is a very high probability that he will. He said, you never say never. It's always plausible, is it? always plausible to run for president? It's always plausible. It's definitely doable. It's just a question of should you do it? End quote. Now, should you do it? What does that mean? You know, there are so many that run for president and they run for other higher offices, such as U.S. senator and governor and congressman and so forth, for all manner of reasons. But regardless what they say to the public, it is infrequently that they run to make things better in this nation. It's normally a matter of running for personal gain, pride, self-aggrandizement, greed, lust, covetousness. Power happiness. You know, the saying, the oft said message that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, no, that saying, uh, it's okay. But a much more accurate version would be this, which I have said over the many years. Power attracts 
the corrupt. And absolute power attracts the absolutely corrupt. It's an irresistible bait or attraction. But turning to the president, the president of the United States of America, Donald Trump Sr., the Donald previously known as, living large, Donald, he (laughs) engaged in a, call it a policy, call it a strategy, I would say it's just, was a tactic, but of denial of the reality of what was coming, even as the World Health Organization did. Denying it for months. Now, maybe behind the scenes, maybe there was a great deal of frenetic activity to respond to it. But denying it to the American people, if that were the case, denying it to the American people and trivializing it and making light of it and minimizing it, minimizing the threat. Is it possible that that could have been well-intended to keep people from panicking and so on and so forth? It's possible. I'm not going to absolutely, utterly, totally rule it out. But his other behavior rather makes that appear unlikely, but nonetheless possible, or as Mark Cuban would say, it's always plausible, or is it? Plausible, reasonable, is it? But in any case, while it may have been a tactic, it certainly was no strategy. It was not called for. It was not wise, wonderful leadership. It wasn't leadership. Is this a problem, a challenge, this pandemic that would have caused enormous trouble, damage, suffering, loss of life, regardless who was in power? Absolutely. However, that's not to say that this president hasn't botched it badly. Because he has. Oh, I know all of those who are fully behind him. They would insist otherwise. They are very loyal to this president. But, you know, if you look back over the past several years, you will find that this president isn't loyal to anybody. And he just... He goes through people like they are disposable sanitary wipes. You know, right now, his organization, his presidential campaign organization, is just (laughs) doing its level best to do damage to the candidacy for U.S. Senate of Jeff Sessions, who was the earliest of 
early adopters for Donald Trump running for president in the first place. And they're insisting he's not a Trump ally because of that whole matter of him recusing himself and he became the president's enemy. Because the president made him his enemy. (laughs) But anyway. Mr. President, he says, quote, there will be death, end quote. With reference to this week. There will be death with reference to the week that is coming up. Here we are. This is Saturday, April the 4th. And this coming week, there will be death. It reminds me of a movie I have not watched because I didn't find it to be appealing, shall we say. And that was There Will Be Blood. And here is There Will Be Death. Yes, there will. Yes, there will. Regrettably. There will be. And before I forget about it, let me just mention again that I haven't seen, heard anything further concerning Maeve Kennedy Townsend McKean or McCain. I don't know what the correct pronunciation for that name is. Probably McKean. But she... Loving mother of, I don't know how many children she has, but certainly of her son Gideon, Gideon Joseph Kennedy McCain, or McCain, who is eight years of age. They hopped into a canoe and went into this little bay area of the much greater Chesapeake Bay, which of course empties into the Atlantic Ocean. Pray for them. Yes, it would seemingly be too late at this juncture, but pray for them. I recommend. And I'm speaking of not just with reference, even though that is what's most important, not with reference to their eternal salvation, even though that is what's most important. I'm referring to their lives. Pray for them. And for those in your families and loved ones, those whom you know, those whom you don't know, I recommend you pray for them. You know, long ago, going back to the foundation of this nation, the very foundation, I'm not speaking of the Native American Indians, though I will get to them shortly. But I'm speaking instead of the pilgrims. The pilgrims who at great risk, great jeopardy, great cost, came to this nation. Cost to them and their families, their lives. Came to this nation in ships much larger than canoes, but... 
there was great difficulty and danger crossing the ocean, coming to a nation of peoples, a country populated by many nations of Native American Indians whom they knew nothing about, a vast nation, if you will, a nation to be, on a continent unknown to them. Talk about going out into the unknown, the great unknown. It was an extraordinary undertaking. This was not a matter of American expeditionary forces. This was not a matter of SEAL Team 6 and so forth. This was not a a case of our greatest, most experienced, most expert special forces in the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, and so forth, and Air Force. No. This was families. Men with their wives, their children, their little children. Coming to a strange place. Not having been able to do anything in the way of reconnaissance. Just an extraordinarily courageous undertaking. And it was driven by faith in God. Contrary to revisionist historians. Yes, they suffered persecution from the Roman Catholic abomination over in Europe. But that is not what compelled them to come. They came to found a new nation and to reach the lost for the Lord. But going back to them and their trials, their sufferings, their loss of life, the enormous loss of life, considering the numbers that came and how many survived, which should be referred to as how few survived. And going through the starving time and all of the terrible times that they suffered. If they were here today, what would their response be? to this, to this pandemic, this coronavirus, coronavirus, COVID-19, refer to it any way you care to, what would their response be? It would be to pray. It would be to fast and pray. And instead, in this great day and age, we have some people, including Many young people, young adults, going for spring break, partying hardy, really representing that whole 
eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die attitude. If I get coronavirus, 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 any kind of virus, I get it. So what? Again, just a complete (laughs) blind ignorance and self-serving attitude on the part of so many. But if this had swept through the ranks of the pilgrims, if this had come to their door, they would have fasted and prayed. I can say that conclusively, authoritatively, because that's what they did time and again. And they believed that there typically, frequently, was a cause-and-effect relationship between sin and suffering. It wasn't always that way. The early church suffered terribly, not because of sin, and so on and so forth. But they recognized that there was often a relationship. We have an entirely different mindset. The overwhelming majority of us here in the United States of America and in the free world, so-called, former Christendom, we have an entirely different mindset concerning these things. And it is not a superior mindset. (laughs) No, (laughs) we are so enlightened. But meanwhile, while the president, on the one hand, he says, there will be death. In the next breath, he says, quote, we have to open our country again. We have to open our country again. We don't want to be doing this for months and months and months. End quote. Well, of course, we don't want it to be closed and shut down indefinitely. One reason that we don't want that is because it will destroy the economy in the nation, destroy businesses. What Mark Cuban refers to as a, you know, great opportunity, outstanding opportunity. And he claims to be a man of great vision. He has this vision, America 2.0. But his vision is not like the vision of the pilgrim nor like that of those who are referred to, I consider mistakenly, as being the founding fathers. For me, the founding fathers are the pilgrims, followed by the Puritans, not those referred to as the founding fathers. And I mean those so-called founding fathers, no disrespect by saying that. But those founding fathers were entirely too respectful of, too much in admiration of the Romans, the Grecians, and so forth. Pagans, heathens. But while the president is saying we must open the country, fascinatingly enough, he is just now 
enacted the shutting down of the borders, to lock down the borders, to stem the tide of the coronavirus pandemic. I've referred previously to the matter of these smuggling tunnels, human smuggling, drug smuggling tunnels like that massive one discovered between Tijuana and San Diego. And, uh, (laughs) but that it can also be a means for transmission of this pandemic. Well, the president, not that he listens to me, by no means, by no means does he, but he has taken this opportunity to shut down the borders with respect to this in order to combat, if you will, he likes the war terminology, to combat the pandemic. Meanwhile, before I continue, permit me to say, I'm Brad Thomas and this is After All is Said and Done. Whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. Going back to the old country, one country in the old country, speaking of the Romans and the Grecians, Italy. Well, in Italy, there also is this matter of opening things up again. There is increasing mounting pressure to open the country, to open the economy in order to prevent there being a massive economic depression. A legitimate concern, to say the least. But while there is this matter of this desire, this pressure to open things up, There is the little matter of concern about setting off another wave of this pandemic viral contagion. But currently, there are politicians who are insisting on the need to go forward with opening things up. Understandably so. And there is a debate that is going on right now. And that is concerning whether antibodies in one's blood signify immunity. And so, researchers, scientists, they don't know yet. They're hopeful. They're optimistic, but they don't know if that is the case. But there are politicians that are moving ahead based on this. So, for instance, a so-called president of the northeastern Veneto region, he has proposed providing a special license for people who possess antibodies that show 
that they have had the virus and have survived, have recovered, so forth. So, former Prime Minister Matteo Renzi, he has spoken about this for the people that have not been infected. So, coming at it from different different angles there. But it's something that we will be hearing more and more about, assuredly, in this nation and around the world. Now, something that has come out very recently is the idea that so-called moderate, moderate social distancing, okay? (laughs) So there's social distancing and there's social distancing and moderate social distancing. In other words, less so-called draconian measures, but which still involve social distancing, that these can do a great deal to minimize the deaths, the infections, the damage wrought by this pandemic. And interestingly enough, researchers they've gone back to the previously referred to report by Neil Ferguson and his colleagues at the Imperial College of London, the COVID-19 response team. And so they say, okay, his initial, that is Neil Ferguson's initial analysis was that if nothing were done, In the United States of America, 2.2 million people would die. They had separate figures for the UK, but concerning the United States. However, that if so-called moderate social distancing were enacted, and that would include a seven-day isolation period for anyone who presented symptoms, and a 14-day voluntary quarantine for their family members, significantly reduced social contact for all people 70 years of age and above, that that would reduce the death toll by half, by 50%. Reduce it to 1.1 million. Now, this is all modeling, you understand. This is all hypothetical. But, again, the premise was that these measures, just referred to, that they would result in a reduction of deaths by 50%. So, a couple researchers, Michael Greenstone and Vishan Nigam or Nigam, from the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute for Economics, 
they have posited the idea that perhaps it would be more beneficial for the United States of America to engage in that rather than more stringent, more so-called draconian measures. Now, this is along the same idea as what I referred to, goodness, I don't know how long ago that was, a week ago, two weeks ago, this husband-wife team, she at the University of Wyoming, and they're both economists and professors, referring to the idea that perhaps what is going on right now is really an overreaction and not the best way to address these things. But here, Michael Greenstone and Vishan Nigam or Nigam, they also, economists, professors, they are coming forth with this premise which is in stark contrast, really, with the thinking of many scientists and so forth who are calling for, you know, all-out, most stringent measures and so forth. But on that note, there are eight, or at least earlier today, there are eight or were eight governors who had chosen not to issue orders requiring the residents to stay at home. And this is being decried. This is just terrible. How terrible of them. All of them are Republicans. And they have, some of them, All of them have philosophical differences, and I would say some of them, at least, have more deeply held beliefs that in a free nation, so-called, that it is not the government's place to make these extreme orders and demands of citizens the way that they are done in communist regimes and in fascist regimes, in totalitarian regimes, that that is not the way things should be done in a free nation. Ridiculous of them to think that, right? Ridiculous, backwards, you know, we should all be communists, right? We should all be fascists. We should all believe in the ultimate power of the state, that it rules and reigns and does as it wishes. I know it would seem ironic and contradictory when I, now for going back to January, insisted on referring to the spread of the coronavirus, COVID-19, coronavirus, what have you, as being a pandemic. And then for me not to be fully behind this matter of the government 
ordering the people about, ordering shutdown of this sector of the economy and that sector of the economy, all of these businesses and all of these churches and so forth. Might seem ironic and even contradictory. But my (laughs) whole point with regard to this, naming this pandemic a pandemic, which it was, which it was clearly going to become beyond China, even before it had, and which it had become in China, is so people are made aware of the gravity of the situation. It's not to justify martial law. Never. (laughs) But, you see, as I've said before, there are movers and shakers powerful, wealthy people, people with the kind of wealth that billionaire Mark Cuban has and so forth, the George Soros's of the world, the Ted Turner's of the world, the Prince Philip's of the world, and all of those linked to them, the Jimmy Carter's and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett's and the others, Henry Kissinger's and so forth, Rothschilds, who have an insatiable lust to change the world. They have a vision, not America 2.0, but, you know, worldwide 1.0. They have a vision to bring about regime change, the end of all nation-states as independent, sovereign nations, to bring them all under the control of one central regime, one central authority. So they are totally on board with, yes, Let's order the people and the free nations about. Let's bring them under martial law. But most importantly, let's bring about societal change. Let's bring about governmental change. We can call it reform, you know. But let's bring that into existence. Let's cause all nations to fall and bring them all under one government regime. Well, surprise, surprise, some, you know, backwards people like these Republican governors. They have a very different notion about such things. So. These Republican governor holdouts have not issued executive orders demanding that people stay at home. Shelter at home. That's not to say that they haven't recommended it, but they have not issued these mandates, these orders. 
requiring people to do so. There's a world of difference there. But even the president, the Donald, he said, quote, I leave it up to the governors. The governors know what they are doing. States that we are talking about are not in jeopardy, end quote. Well, I wouldn't go that far as to say that any states are not in jeopardy. I don't believe that. But Governor Kay Ivey in Alabama, she has now imposed a statewide mandate beginning today. And Missouri's governor, Mike Parson, he too. Yes, and that will take effect on Monday. But meanwhile, these holdouts, these terrible backwards holdouts, like beautiful South Dakota Governor Christy Nome, she has said the following. And this will rile undoubtedly a great many people. How terrible for her to say this. But, quote, the people themselves are primarily responsible for their safety. The state and national constitutions that prevent us from taking draconian measures, much like the Chinese government has done. The Chinese government? She's referring to the communist Chinese regime. But the people of this nation are primarily responsible for their own safety. And while that may not sit well with a lot of people, it still is reality. A great many people imagine that police that the function of police, sheriffs and deputies and what have you is to protect the American people. Well, there is a protective function. But no, (laughs) first and foremost, not their place to protect Americans. And on that note, you know, the... uh, this matter of calling 911. Call 911. That's the thing to do. They will hurry up and get there. I mean, the times, the response times for places like Detroit going back well, well, well before this pandemic were absolutely abysmal. Imagine what they are now. But even though there's less traffic on the streets, But in addition to South Dakota, these other states, the governors in these states have made strong recommendations to practice so-called social distancing. But they have not declared orders requiring people to do so. How terrible. They should be removed from office. We should get some dictators in there to order the people 
don't you think? Well, Iowa's Governor Kim Reynolds has not yet issued such an order. She says that the data, or data if you prefer, does not yet merit a statewide directive. And concerning the aforementioned lead, (laughs) lead authority, Fauci, she says, it's understandable that he looks at that as being a solution. But that is a nationwide shutdown order. However, the Centers for Disease Control have not indicated an appropriate or necessary step across the country. That's according to Governor Aza Hutchinson of Arkansas. Meanwhile, in Nebraska, Nebraskans do what we've already implemented and we do it well. I think we'll get much more bang for our buck than we would going to a much more draconian measure. That from Governor Pete Ricketts. And back to Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa. She stated, I would say that maybe he, that is Fauci, doesn't have all the information. You can't just look at a map and assume no action has been taken. So, and this is true with North Dakota's Governor Doug Burgum. He said that he was resisting a statewide order, instead urging residents to stay home, stay healthy, and stay connected. South Carolina's Governor Henry McMaster who declared a state of emergency, but has not issued a statewide order. He said, quote, we are not ordering people to stay at home, but from the very beginning, we've been telling people to stay home. End quote. Utah's Governor Gary Herbert stated that his stay home, stay safe instructions strike a more positive tone without there being a statewide order. And Governor Mark Gordon of Wyoming stated that he believes that one of these statewide mandate orders would not accomplish the goal. Different views, but coming down solidly on the side of freedom instead of dictatorial Control. What does that have to do with the price of eggs? Well, guess what? We have a presidential election coming up within seven months. The general election, by my count, is seven months away. And also, elections for U.S. Senators. For United States representatives, for governors, 
So the question is, will people still believe that freedom is an absolutely essential value? You know, when it comes to things like pot, oh yes, oh, we need to be free to smoke pot, to buy pot, to sell pot. Yes. We need to be free to defy all federal laws and have our sanctuary cities and states. Sanctuaries for non-citizens, for people that have come into the nation illegally and absolutely, totally overthrow all immigration policy and immigration laws. And assign to these non-citizens rights that citizens do not have. And the list goes on. But essential, God-given freedom, that's another matter. No, dictatorial control is much better if we are fearing for our lives. Meanwhile, Carolyn B. Maloney, who is the chairperson of the Committee on Oversight and Reform. Jerry Connolly, chairperson of the Subcommittee on Government Operations. They stated in a letter to Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, that this COVID-19, what they referred to as crisis, pandemic is threatening the future of the United States Postal Service. And that there may be a complete shutdown of the Postal Service within a few months, even as soon as June. It was stated that postal workers delivered more than a billion shipments of prescription drugs last year. And that ceasing operations during this virus outbreak, crisis, pandemic could and would have dire consequences for the health of the people of the country. And that these negative effects, quote, these negative effects could be even more dire in rural areas where millions of Americans are sheltering in place and rely on the Postal Service to deliver essential staples, end quote. And ironically, the states that those eight governors Republican governors who are not bringing out these dictatorial orders from those states are viewed as being largely rural states. Meanwhile, I said I'd say something about Native American Indians. New Mexico's governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, she warned President Donald Trump this week, about incredible spikes in coronavirus cases in Navajo Nation. And she fears that the virus could wipe the tribe out entirely, wipe the tribal nations out entirely. These are not unfounded fears. If we go back to the H1N1 epidemic, Native American Indians 
suffered much more greatly than the general population. And that was thought to be due to other pre-existing health conditions like diabetes, heart disease, asthma, that were inordinately high among the tribes. But also going back to the Asian flu, so-called. Terrible, terrible death rate among the Native American Indians. Needs to be addressed. And there are efforts underway right now to try to assist the tribes to survive this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.